Word on Fire is brought to you by Catholic Cemeteries, serving the Chicago area since 1837. This is Cardinal Francis George, and I invite you to join me for the next few minutes to reflect with Father Robert Barron on the Word of God, which is the Word on Fire. Father Barron will challenge us to open our hearts to the Word on Fire, which is God's Word of love for each of us. If our hearts are open, the Lord can change and transform us so that we might speak with love about the one who is love. The Archdiocese of Chicago, through the generosity of Sacred Heart Parish in Winnetka, now presents The Word on Fire. Peace be with you. Friends, the Feast of Dedication of St. John Lateran Basilica in Rome falls on a Sunday this year. So it gives us a chance to reflect on that church building, but also church buildings in general, and the whole idea of the church. You know, I was just at John Lateran a few weeks ago. I was over in Rome filming for my Catholicism series. I think I've told you about that. John Lateran is a very striking place. It's the mother church of Catholicism, even more really than St. Peter's, since John Lateran is the cathedral church of the Bishop of Rome. When the Pope takes his position as Bishop of Rome, he takes possession of the cathedral of John Lateran. In the apse of that church, you see the great cathedra, the chair from which the Pope teaches. On the facade of John Lateran, you find this little Latin motto, Omnium Ecclesiarum Orbis et Orbis Caput et Mater. That means, of all the churches of the city and of the world, head and mother. John Lateran is the mother church of Catholicism. Inside, over the main altar, you'll find reliquaries holding the heads of Peter and Paul, the two great apostles who died in Rome. And then throughout the nave of the church, I was really struck by this. In fact, we film near some of these statues. You find these gigantic depictions of the 12 apostles. They're standing almost literally as the pillars of the church. So, as I say, this feast today gives us the occasion to reflect on not only John Lateran, but on church buildings. And, judging from our readings for today, the church insists that all church buildings have as their source and prototype the great temple in Jerusalem. The great temple. As I've said often enough before, it would be difficult to overstate the importance of the temple for a first century Jew. A temple in Jerusalem was, in practically a literal sense, the dwelling place of Yahweh. God was seen as inhabiting the temple. Now, now Jews knew, of course, that God was everywhere. They knew that. But there was something almost sacramental about the temple. It was seen as God's dwelling place, especially now the Holy of Holies at the very center of the temple was the place where Yahweh dwelled on earth. When a pious Jew came to Jerusalem, he came to commune in a personal way with God and thereby to find right order. I talk about uh, Jerusalem as the temple city. It's not so much the city that had a temple in it, It was the temple that had a city around it. In a certain way, the whole city of Jerusalem was just an accompaniment of the temple. Now, what flows from all this is 
that the actions of the temple were central to the Jewish religious imagination, as were the degradations of the temple, its corruptions and imperfections. Life centered around the temple in good times and bad, during its ups and downs. The most traumatic event in ancient Jewish history was the desecration and destruction of the temple by the Babylonians. That's the event, really in some ways more than the Exodus event, that provides the center for the scripture. It haunted the Jewish imagination. How couldn't it? If the temple was Yahweh's dwelling place, the temple was the place where the Jews went up to find right praise, and the temple was destroyed? That was not just an economic or political or even cultural problem. That was a very deep theological problem. How could God have allowed his temple to be destroyed? If there was a close second to the destruction of the temple by the Babylonians, it would have been the definitive destruction of the temple by the Romans in the year 70 A.D. Again, put yourself in the shoes of a first century Jew. The temple recently rebuilt, renovated by Herod the Great. And now this temple in 70 A.D. is raised to the ground by the Romans. Again, not just a political and cultural problem. That was a very deep theological problem. How could God have allowed this? Has Yahweh abandoned his holy place? Now, it's only against this rich background that we can properly understand our readings for this feast day. First of all, we have this passage from the prophet Ezekiel. And it concerns an extraordinary prophecy. The seer, Ezekiel, said that God had become so fed up with the corruption of his temple that his glory had abandoned it. Now, that's a standard bit of Israelite prophecy, to see the destruction of the temple as the result of its corruption. Because of that corruption, God left the temple. He abandoned it left it open to its enemies. But then Ezekiel has a further vision. One day, he said, the glory of Yahweh would return to the temple. One day the temple would be cleansed and purified. God would return to it. And on that day, water would flow forth from the temple for the renewal of the world. Remember that beautiful lyrical passage? It's our reading for today. Water flowing forth from the walls of the temple. Now, flash forward about 500 years later to the time of Jesus. As I mentioned to you before many times, one of the great tasks of the Mashiach of Israel, the Messiah, the Christos, was the cleansing and purifying of the temple. Again, they knew the temple had been compromised. They knew that the glory of the Lord to some degree had left the temple. That's why they envisioned the Mashiach, the Messiah, as the one who would come and cleanse it. For only a purified temple would be a place of right praise. Therefore, we should not be the least bit surprised that Jesus, at the very climax of his life, came into the temple and made a ruckus. 
how that scene haunted the imaginations of the first Christians. It's in all the Gospels. Jesus cleansing the temple, driving the money changers out. He was not simply being a rabble rouser. It's very important to see that. Not simply being a, a sort of revolutionary in the contemporary sense. Rather, he was doing what the Mashiach was expected to do. He was pronouncing judgment on the corruption of the temple and attempting to purify it. That's why he says, take these out of here and stop making my father's house a marketplace. Well, he's speaking in the language and cadences of Jeremiah and Isaiah and Ezekiel. But then we find something truly radical. It's in John's Gospel, our reading for today. When pressed for a sign, how do you justify this act of yours? He says, I will tear this temple down and rebuild it in three days. Now see what this meant for a first century Jew. Jesus was saying, I'm going to act as a one-man Babylon. Babylon destroyed the first temple. Jesus said, I myself in person am going to reproduce the calamity from which Israel had not yet fully recovered. And then, to make it even more dramatic, he said in three days he would do this of Jeremiah and Isaiah and Ezekiel. But then we find something truly radical. It's in John's Gospel, our reading for today. When pressed for a sign, how do you justify this act of yours? He says, I will tear this temple down and rebuild it in three days. Now see what this meant for a first century Jew. Jesus was saying, I'm going to act as a one-man Babylon. Babylon destroyed the first temple. Jesus said, I myself in person am going to reproduce the calamity from which Israel had not yet fully recovered. And then, to make it even more dramatic, he said in three days he would do this of Jeremiah and Isaiah and Ezekiel. But then we find something truly radical. It's in John's Gospel, our reading for today. When pressed for a sign, how do you justify this act of yours? He says, I will tear this temple down and rebuild it in three days. Now see what this meant for a first century Jew. Jesus was saying, I'm going to act as a one-man Babylon. Babylon destroyed the first temple. Jesus said, I myself in person am going to reproduce the calamity from which Israel had not yet fully recovered. And then, to make it even more dramatic, he said in three days he would do down and rebuild it in three days. Now see what this meant for a first century Jew. Jesus was saying, I'm going to act as a one-man Babylon. Babylon destroyed the first temple. Jesus said, I myself in person am going to reproduce the calamity from which Israel had not yet fully recovered. And then, to make it even more dramatic, he said in three days he would do what it took Herod's engineers and builders and architects 47 years to do. He'd be a one-man Babylon, then he'd be a one-man Herod, the rebuilder of the temple. What was he talking about? And here's the heart of it. He was pierces his 
side. Remember Ezekiel had said, when the spirit of Yahweh would return to the temple from its side would come forth water. That's exactly what happened. From the side of a dead Christ there comes forth blood and water. Symbolic, of course, of the sacraments, blood of the Eucharist, water of baptism, which would renew the world. The temple, the church, all of it is on display here. When I was in Jerusalem last summer, also filming for the Catholicism, the temple, the church, all of it is on display here. When I was in Jerusalem last summer, also filming for the Catholicism series, I visited the wonderful Wailing Wall, the Western Wall. It's just a retaining wall of Herod's temple. It's the last vestige of the temple that was destroyed by the Romans. To it, as you know, Jews come from all over the world, and they weep there in memory of what once was. Christians come to the Western Wall, too. In fact, I went up to that wall wearing the yarmulke, because every man that approaches the wall has to have his head covered, and I touched the church. All of it is on display here. When I was in Jerusalem last summer, also filming for the Catholicism series, I visited the wonderful Wailing Wall, the Western Wall. It's just a retaining wall of Herod's temple. It's the last vestige of the temple that was destroyed by the Romans. To it, as you know, Jews come from all over the world, and they weep there in memory of what once was. Christians come to the Western Wall, too. In fact, I went up to that wall wearing the yarmulke, because every man that approaches the wall has to have his head covered. And I touched that wall, and I prayed. It was a very moving experience to me. Church, all of it is on display here. When I was in Jerusalem last summer, also filming for the Catholicism series, I visited the wonderful Wailing Wall, the Western Wall. It's just a retaining wall of Herod's temple. It's the last vestige of the temple that was destroyed by the Romans. To it, as you know, Jews come from all over the world, and they weep there in memory of what once was. Christians come to the Western Wall, too. In fact, I went up to that wall wearing the yarmulke, because every man that approaches the wall has to have his head covered. And I touched that wall, and I prayed. It was a very moving experience to me. Church, all of it is on display here. When I was in Jerusalem last summer, also filming for the Catholicism series, I visited the wonderful Wailing Wall, the Western Wall. It's just a retaining wall of Herod's temple. It's the last vestige of the temple that was destroyed by the Romans. To it, as you know, Jews come from all over the world, and they weep there in memory of what once was. Christians come to the Western Wall, too. In fact, I went up to that wall wearing the yarmulke, because every man that approaches the wall has to have his head covered. And I touched that wall, and I prayed. It was a very moving experience to me. Church, all of it is on display here.
When I was in Jerusalem last summer, also filming for the Catholicism series, I visited the wonderful Wailing Wall, the Western Wall. It's just a retaining wall of Herod's temple. It's the last vestige of the temple that was destroyed by the Romans. To it, as you know, Jews come from all over the world, and they weep there in memory of what once was. Christians come to the Western Wall, too. In fact, I went up to that wall wearing the yarmulke, because every man that approaches the wall has to have his head covered. And I touched that wall, and I prayed. It was a very moving experience to me. Church, all of it is on display here. When I was in Jerusalem last summer, also filming for the Catholicism series, I visited the wonderful Wailing Wall, the Western Wall. It's just a retaining wall of Herod's temple. It's the last vestige of the temple that was destroyed by the Romans. To it, as you know, Jews come from all over the world, and they weep there in memory of what once was. Christians come to the Western Wall, too. In fact, I went up to that wall wearing the yarmulke, because every man that approaches the wall has to have his head covered. And I touched that wall, and I prayed. It was a very moving experience to me. It's figured into the body of Christ. Yes, the temple served its purpose for a thousand years. Yes, it was the foreshadowing of what would come. But the real temple, the renewed temple, is the body of Jesus Christ, where divinity and humanity meet. The church. Every church building in the world now, from St. John Lateran to the humblest parish church, is a representation of that temple. Is a sign, a symbol, a figure of the mystical body of Christ. That's why we can say with St. Paul in our second reading, figured into the body of Christ. Yes, the temple served its purpose for a thousand years. Yes, it was the foreshadowing of what would come. But the real temple, the renewed temple, is the body of Jesus Christ, where divinity and humanity meet. The church. Every church building in the world now, from St. John Lateran to the humblest parish church, is a representation of that temple, is a sign, a symbol, a figure of the mystical body of Christ. That's why we can say with St. Paul in our second reading, you are God's building. You are the temple of God. How extraordinary. Here's Paul, a Jew, understood this whole rich history of the temple as I've been laying it out. And he points to this little Christian community whom he's addressing. And he says, you are the temple of God. Because he knew they, in all their simplicity and in all their sin, they were the mystical body of Christ. So we too, who gather in the church buildings of the world, we too know that we are the cells and molecules and organs in this mystical body. This is the place where divinity and humanity meet. The church is the place 
where God is given proper praise. And hence, it is the organizing power and principle of the world. Friends, all of this is being celebrated today on this Feast of John Lateran, the Mother Church of Catholicism. And God bless you. I hope that you were moved today by the word on fire. I pray that together we might become a people on fire with love for God and neighbor here in Chicago and wherever these words are heard. Until we join Father Barron again next week, I'm Cardinal Francis George. God bless you.